Hello, and welcome to the Pathmic Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Whitney Landa, Director of Education and Psychiatrist at the Palo Alto location. Today's topic is teen depression. Teen depression is quite different than adult depression and can be confused with normal teenage behavior since we often expect teens to be moody and difficult and irritable. So today we'll walk through what the differences are and how to recognize when it's actually depression and then what to do um, once you've made that diagnosis. So as I said, people expect teens to be moody and they often are. But regular teenage moodiness is brief. It's not super severe mood swings, but once they've had a mood swing, they kind of come back to themselves. They don't last for large parts of the day. And that really intense irritability that we often see with depression is not present, or it might be present for a brief burst in a less severe form. But again, it's not as severe or as prolonged. We typically don't see a lot of intense moodiness with teens that last longer than two weeks at a time, even if it is intense. And again, usually it's much more brief than that. And they'll usually be a trigger. Something upset them. They won't be moody for no reason where even they can't tell you exactly why they're feeling so moody. So if they're really having a lot of untriggered, very intense, severe, or long mood swings, we're going to be thinking about depression. Another key is teens that are having sort of normal moodiness are still interested in things. They still want to do their activities. They like their sports. They want to be with their friends. Yes, they're spending more time in their rooms, but when you go in, they're not just sort of laying there staring at the ceiling. They're talking to their friends or they're playing a game. Uh, They're active and involved in things, and they really like being with their friends. Um, And that can be true of depressed teens as well. All teens will pull away from their families a little bit, but they do want to be around their families to some extent, and they are able to engage and have conversations with their parents. Another thing that is a little bit tricky is teens do have different sleep patterns. So as your patient or your child moves towards being a teenager, we see that they want to go to bed later and sleep in longer. So sleeping in late on the weekends can be pretty normal or during the summer. But if they're really sleeping all day or if they're sleeping for much longer than 10 hours a night, then we're going to be concerned for depression again. And parents will often come in and say, you know, I'm not sure, especially if they haven't had a teenager before or they had an especially easy teenager the first time around. And so they think it might be teenage moodiness. Um, And those are some good things to tease that apart. If they've got more severe mood swings, you can ask the parents, do you feel like you're walking on eggshells around them? Like you never know what's going to set them off. Um, Are they bored a lot? Teens with depression won't say they've lost interest. They'll just say everything's boring. No matter what I try to do, it's boring. I can never find anything to do. And they'll feel kind of apathetic and anhedonic, but comes out as I'm bored. They also have a lot more physical complaints. And we see that with adults as well. But if a child who was pretty healthy all of a sudden gets tons of headaches and stomach aches and there's no medical reason, we're always thinking mood. So we're going to screen for depression. If teens withdraw from friends, that's very concerning. Teens normally really like to be with their friends and would prefer that to other people. So if you see a teenager withdrawing from friends, 
parents say even their best friends they don't want to see anymore. That's a big red flag. Also, teens that are using a lot of substances, you always want to screen for depression because comorbidity with substance use in teens is the almost the rule. There are exceptions, but most of them are going to be struggling with mood as well. Another key um, indicator or red flag for us is if there's a sudden change in school performance. So a kid who always got good grades is now really struggling in school um, and there's a big change there. We're going to screen for depression. And again, it looks really different than adult depression. So teens normally meet criteria for unspecified depression because they don't typically stay depressed for long periods of time. They rarely meet that two weeks of sustained depression criteria for major depressive disorder. And if they do, that's very concerning and they should be followed really closely. But most teens will be depressed for a day or two, or they'll be depressed and it seems to lift when they're with their friends and come back when they're back with their families. Totally normal for teen depression. It does not have to be sustained and usually is not. And that's another thing that can uh, sort of confuse parents is they think, well, but he's not always depressed or she seems fine when she's with her friends. So I don't think it's depression. And we have to explain that that is normal for teens. They don't have this sustained melancholia like adults can, though. To be honest, a lot of adults still have irritable, angry depressions with mood swings, um, but they do tend to have sustained load mood for longer. And the last thing I'll mention is suicidal thoughts. Obviously, suicidal thoughts are part of depression. Suicidal thoughts are never normal. It's always going to be something where we're screening for depression or anxiety. If a kid has suicidal thoughts, you're going to do the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale with them and see you know, how urgent uh, the suicidal thoughts are and what you should do. For a full overview of that, we have a separate podcast on suicide screening I'll direct you to, but you want to do the CSSRS and you want to do the Brown Stanley Safety Plan, ideally one that they have on their phone because there's going to be a lot of who do you reach out to, and it's nice to have that directly in their phone so they can just call the person. Now, outside of suicidal thoughts, which are always you know immediately in the severe category, you can do a PHQ-9. There is a specific one for teens. If the score comes out as mild to moderate and they've never had any treatment for depression, I would refer them to therapy. If it's moderate depression really affecting their functioning and in two months of high quality therapy where they've got a good fit with a therapist and they're seeing the person weekly, they're not making any progress, two months has been shown to be long enough that you can start thinking about medicine uh, and they may need medicine if they aren't making progress in therapy. If they have a mild depression, I never recommend medicine. It's usually not indicated in teens. I really focus on the non-medication aspects in addition to therapy, exercise, sleep, and social interventions, like joining different groups or finding maybe more supportive peer groups, getting involved in their church or a sport. Sleep is pretty magical. We all know that. So if we can get teens sleeping, they tend to feel a lot better. Teens are almost always very sleep deprived in our society. 
and exercising aerobically for 30 minutes, three to five times a week has a very strong antidepressant effect. So I'll usually recommend that. Now, if they're high, moderate to severe, I'd refer them to therapy, but also be thinking about medications. Do medications make sense for this kid? Maybe not if it's moderate. That might just be something you're thinking about, or you might prepare the family for that conversation if things don't get better. Uh, But definitely in a kid who has severe depression, all research points to better outcomes if you combine medication and therapy. So I would immediately be talking about medication with those families. Now, which medications? So ideally, family history guides you. So if a first-degree relative has done well on a medication, that's always my go-to, my first start. And a lot of times we don't have that, but ideally we do. And if you don't have that, or it's one where it isn't well studied in teens and the family doesn't feel comfortable, then I tend just to go with the FDA approved agents because we do have the safety data in teens. The FDA approved agents are Cymbalta for generalized anxiety disorder, Luvox, Zoloft, and Prozac for OCD, Prozac again, and then Lexapro for depression. So we do have a range of options, and all of them realistically do work in depression, even if they're FDA-approved for a different indication. And what I tell families, if I have good reason to pick one that isn't FDA-approved for depression specifically, like mom does well in Zoloft, I'm going to pick Zoloft. But I tell them the important thing is we have the safety studies, and we have the safety data, and we do know that it works for depression in teenagers. For exact advice on how to start these medications, I'm actually going to refer you to our other podcasts. We have deep dives into Prozac, Lexapro, and Zoloft already recorded and produced for you. There's also an episode on how to choose an antidepressant that has a lot of information about Cymbalta and other agents. The thing I'll just touch on briefly in this talk is... Uh, the black box warnings. I don't want you to feel discouraged about prescribing because of the black box warning. Lots of studies have shown that kids do not act on any suicidal thoughts that are from medicine. It feels more like an intrusive thought in my experience. And so that's what I tell people. If you suddenly start to think about suicide, it won't feel like your desire to commit suicide. It'll feel different, but it can be really scary. So let me know about it. And the risk with any of these FDA-approved agents is less than 1%, which is another reason to start with them. The next thing before you prescribe that SSRI is to screen for bipolar disorder, because especially with severe depression, you have a higher risk of them developing bipolar disorder later in life. It's not hugely high, so I don't want you to assume every kid with severe depression is going to develop bipolar disorder, but it's important to screen for it. So if you think about bipolar disorder as a third energy state, increased energy, doing things that are really out of character, being more confident, less anxious for periods of time, and then reverting back to normal. Again, it's always going to be a change from baseline in the more energetic, happier, or more irritable. Teens can have much more irritable hypomanias, but if they're more energetic, out of character, more confident, say then we're going to be concerned. Again, I'm going to refer you to another podcast, a full podcast on screening for bipolar disorder, but it's really important to do before you start an SSRI in these teens. 
Um, and if they have some signs, you can still go ahead and start the SSRI. But if they have a lot of signs, I might move towards something like Lamictal. And we will have an upcoming podcast on Lamictal that will help you start and manage that medication. In the meantime, please reach out to us via our e-consult service for psychiatry. We can help you with, you know, starting and titrating and managing any of our psychiatric medications through the e-consult. So again, just to recap, teen depression is characterized by severe mood swings, irritability, walking on eggshells, being bored and apathetic in that sense, withdrawal often from friends as well as family, though not always, decline in performance and functioning in school, sports, or other activities that they're normally really engaged in. And that is very different than normal teen moodiness and different than what we often think of as our sort of classic adult depression. And hopefully this podcast helps in recognition of that teen depression and also some starting steps on what to do. Our SharePoint site has a lot of resources. So, you know, one of the questions that might have come up is how on earth am I gonna find a therapist for this child? I give all those resources to the parent. And I really emphasize the importance of calling everyone because it is difficult to find a therapist for teens and it requires a lot of diligence. And also don't forget the partial hospitalization programs and the intensive outpatient programs for the more severely ill teens. Those are phenomenal programs that not only help with intensive therapy more quickly, but also have psychiatrists and case managers I've included lists of the IOP PHP programs, as well as a lot of community resources for finding a therapist on that SharePoint site I mentioned under the resource tab. So I encourage everyone to check that out. And I hope everyone here has a nice day. Talk to you soon. Our next upcoming episode is about TMS or transcranial magnetic stimulation.